You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated joins us uh, on the program. How do you think this plays out with Zion? Yeah, as far as this year, we, we certainly are trending in that direction. The latest news about Zion doesn't really give you much reason to be optimistic. He's going to be back, say, before the All-Star break. And if you get past the All-Star break and the Pelicans are still in a situation where they are at or near the bottom of the Western Conference, you start to wonder, what's the point? I mean, if you want to add more talent around Zion, why not let him sit out this entire year and you know add something for next year? But longer term, it is curious. I mean, it's not unprecedented, Dan, to have a player with a long-term injury work out away from a team. That happens uh, in basketball, and I'm sure in other sports. But there's just there's always been kind of this uh, unease, perhaps. Uh, I don't know how else you want to phrase it, but some some tenuousness between Zion and the Pelicans. So when you hear he's going to be rehabbing in Portland, Oregon, on the other side of the country, away from this team, and the Pelicans quick to point out in that release he'll be doing it under their medical supervision, you have to wonder kind of what exactly is going on between these two. Who plays first, Zion or Ben Simmons? I, I still think Ben Simmons will get moved before the trade deadline. If he's not, somehow, some way, he'll find his way back into the Philadelphia lineup. Now, you know, there were some reports over Christmas about you know, traction between Simmons or the Sixers and other teams involving Simmons. I haven't heard much of that lately. Uh, the Sixers are still holding out for a significant offer that includes, you know, all-star level talents that can help them this year. And teams around the league, at least at this point, are not willing to offer it. I think you're going to see um, this go all the way up until the February trade deadline because I, I don't think the Sixers are getting the kind of offers that they're looking for, and they won't get those kind of offers until we get right up against that deadline. I was watching Kyrie last night, and I've never had any doubts about his talent. You know, I have doubts about some of the things that he believes in, but here he is on display, and he looks spectacular last night. Uh, what do you think the status is going to be the rest of this season? You know, if he's just a, a road player, and if you're the Nets, do you want a fifth seed or a sixth seed where you're playing more road games in the playoffs? than you would if you're a top four seed? Well, as far as seeding goes, and, and I've kind of had sort of casual conversation with people in Brooklyn about that, uh, that's not a, a variable. I mean, they one of the responses I get is that who says we can't win in six games? Like, you know, they, they believe that these three guys have enough talent for them, you know, not to be forced into that seven-game situation. And you look at it, I mean, Kyrie was brilliant, as you said last night. 22 points, shot better than 50% from the floor in his first game that he's played competitively in many months at this point. And if you go back to last season, I mean, the offensive rating for Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant in the 202 minutes they played was about 119. In the playoffs, that number spiked to an absurd 130 in limited minutes that they played together in the postseason. So they are great offensively together. I think, look, the Nets are going to keep him around. They're going to keep him in the practice facility, keep him going as a part-time player because they don't know. I mean, Dan, by this time tomorrow, 
would it surprise you if Kyrie just got vaccinated? Like his his vaccination is going to happen without any fanfare. He's probably going to walk into a Walgreens and just get vaccinated on a whim. Like so that, you know, Kyrie didn't dismiss that possibility during his interviews last night. So that's out there. Also out there is the possibility that the New York City mayor, the new mayor, Eric Adams, could tweak this mandate. Now, this isn't an argument about vax or anti-vax, Dan, but the New York City mandate is ridiculous. The fact that Kyrie Irving can't play, but the 3% of other NBA players who are unvaccinated can come into Barclays Center and play is absurd. So if I'm the Nets, in addition to kind of crossing our fingers and hoping James Harden and Kevin Durant can convince Kyrie Irving to get vaccinated or Kyrie can do it on his own, I'm kind of lobbying City Hall and saying, look, you know, if you want to make this vaccine mandate, that's fine. We believe in public health, too. But make it fair across the board. If unvaccinated players are coming in here who presumably pose the exact same health risk as Kyrie Irving, they shouldn't be allowed to play either. We're talking to Chris Mannix, uh, Sports Illustrated NBA senior writer. Clay Thompson coming back. It looks like they're uh, pinpointing Sunday. His addition means what? For this team this year? I mean, even if it's 75, 80% of the Clay Thompson we're used to, it's enormous. And, you know, when I talk to people in and around Golden State, all you hear is how great he looks and, you know, how patient they have been with him, kind of trying to work him back to being as close to game shape as possible. Now, the things to watch for with Clay Thompson early are not going to be the three point shot. Like he has been working on that shot. You know, he's been able to do that for weeks and weeks, if not months now. Clay, what made him a great all-around player were two other facets to his game. One, he was able to use the threat of the three-point shot to ball fake, get to the basket, pull up from mid-range. Does he have that same spring on that move to the basket? That's the first one. And defensively, Clay was a high-level defensive guy you know, for most of his years. And the, and the uh, Warriors, I think right now, top two in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Is he that same type of guy? If he's, again, 75, 80% of what he once was, I mean, they're basically getting back an all-star-ish level player. If he's lost a little bit and can't get that back, at least not this season, that's something Golden State will have to adjust to. I'm federally mandated to ask you uh, about LeBron James and the Lakers. LeBron's been playing great, but I, I don't think he can play great enough, though. Your uh, your assessment of the Lakers now we're into January. It's you're hard pressed to find or to look for a pathway that sees them making a deep run in the playoffs right now. Um, you know, the Lakers are active out there on the trade market. I had one GM say to me two nights ago is like, you know, why do we keep hearing about the type of players the Lakers can acquire for this Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, first-round draft pick kind of poo-poo platter that, that is being sort of floated out there as, as a possibility. Yeah, Horton Tucker is an appealing prospect, but if you're looking at some of the top names that are out there, whether it's Jeremy Grant in Detroit, maybe Christian Wood down in Houston, those teams are going to have better offers Uh, for the Lakers. I think for LA, their only hope for, I guess, salvation this season is if Anthony Davis comes off this injury 
and gets back to looking like the bubble Anthony Davis. We haven't seen that player, Dan, in you know over a year now. I mean, he was pretty good last year, and you can certainly make the argument that if he doesn't get hurt uh, in the first round, the Lakers are in the finals last season. But he has not been the same player this year. His perimeter shooting has fallen off a cliff. Look, he's got to be their full-time five, and he has got to be a highly effective full-time five. DeAndre Jordan really doesn't have a lot left. Dwight Howard really doesn't have a lot left. I mean, I know we're kind of getting excited about this LeBron James as a five kind of op option, but that's not going to work long-term, especially not when you go up against bigger teams in the postseason. The Lakers, whenever Anthony Davis comes back, he has got to be a top five player in the NBA. And I'm not sure, based on what I've seen this season, that he has that in him. Great to talk to you again, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Not bad for the least valuable guest of 2021. You heard about that, huh? I was sent that clip by no fewer than three people. <laughs> but you're an award winner. Is that like a Razzie? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. I, uh, and, you know, I didn't vote. I did not vote on the least valuable guest, but we love having you on. It's all right. I've, uh, I've now signed an exclusive deal with Maggie and Perloff, so I'll, uh, I'll be <laughs> yeah. talking to you You're again. leaving. You're going to join McLevin. Okay. I am. Good luck am. with that. Good luck with Thank that. Thank you, Dan. This might be the last time we see or hear from Chris Mannix. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Ross Tucker joins us. Always great to talk to Ross the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast every weekday. Follow him on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL on social media. Got an issue with what Hub Arkish said publicly about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I do, Dan. Um, and I know Hub. I've done some games on Westwood One with him. First of all, there should be no bias when you are making any of these votes. But let's be honest. There always is. That's like the first thing I learned in college is that whether it's conscious or subconscious, everybody has an inherent bias. I mean, Hub Arkish just kind of said the quiet part out loud. I know for a fact certain guys that don't vote for guys for the Hall of Fame the first year because they don't like them because they were jerks and they don't want them to get in on the first ballot. They don't want them to get in at all. So this kind of stuff happens a lot more than any of us realize. And I'm not going to get all up in arms about Hub Arkish because, to be honest, Dan, in my opinion, he really just said what's already been going on and already happens for years. But has Aaron Rodgers been detrimental to his team in any way? Well, yeah, I mean, he missed a game. Uh, he missed a game, and it could have been a very costly game, a very important game. They probably win that game in Kansas City against the Chiefs if Aaron Rodgers plays. I personally think that is one knock against him for the MVP. I hear a lot people say, well, that Chiefs game proved how valuable he was. That Chiefs game proved that he's the MVP. Wait a minute. Wait. I don't think it should help you or your case for the MVP if you miss one. There's only 17 of them. And you miss one, think about what that would have meant for a baseball player or a basketball player and how your backup does when you don't play. 
should not have an impact on MVP. Look, I'm pretty confident, Dan, if Brady didn't play, that Blaine Gabbert would stink up the joint. Is that what we need? Do we need Brady to sit out a game and have Gabbert go out there and play bad to see how valuable Brady is? I, I think it's funny. Look, I think Aaron Rodgers has a great argument for being the MVP. He probably is. I don't blame anybody that votes for him. But Brady has more touchdowns, more completions, more yards. They've got one less win. He's had guys banged up too. He's got guys get hurt and not play. I just think it's funny. What happened is Brady got shut out by the Saints. Rodgers hasn't had any bad games down the stretch. You know, these awards turn into like, what happens the last four weeks when I'm actually paying attention? Oh, Brady got shot by – it's like when he got shot out by the Saints, Dan, it's like they turned the light off yeah. on the Brady MVP can't Like just – he's done, shut it off, over. Let's move on to the Jonathan Taylor. Well put. I was also wondering about this, that it feels like – once again, this is fluid. It's like week to week. Aaron Rodgers might realize how good he has it in Green Bay. Because he might not like the front office, but the front office is very good at drafting players. They may not have drafted the right player with Jordan Love, but you play the Bears, the Lions, and the Vikings. You have six games against them. Why would you want to leave that? Like, you want to go to Denver, uh, whatever it is. I, I keep coming back to Green Bay still has... Offensive line, the defense is, you know, one of the top five. You're getting star players back. You got Devontae Adams there. What is it that he's going to that's going to be so much better than Green Bay? Yeah, I think a lot of things have happened and and will happen over the next few weeks that will affect his mindset there. I think the Roethlisberger send-off had an impact on him. I mean, how could it not, right? I think that is something that he will factor in. I think the fact that Wait, it meaning, the general- meaning the, em- the embracement of the fans in that Cal Ripken victory lap, is that that's what you mean it'll have an impact on Rodgers? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, it would be a little bit unnatural to look at that and not think I would want that. Like, I mean, I was obviously a seven-year journeyman O-lineman, so, but I watched that and been like, man, that must be awesome. Yeah. Like, that must be really, really cool. And, you know, if you leave to go to another team, you never really get that. I do think he realizes how good the team is in Green Bay. It does appear as if, you know, he just wanted say. He just wanted a say. And when they went out and got Randall Cobb and some of the other things they've done, they're, they've given him that say. So he's kind of got what he wanted. That said, Dan, if they lose in the playoffs again and it's a special teams issue or defense, maybe he'll still want to leave. What I find interesting is the Jordan Love component of it because a lot of people always thought that this would be the offseason that the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers. But if he wins the MVP again or maybe they win the Super Bowl – they can't trade him. I mean, they're not going to want to trade him. It might be time for Jordan Love to go somewhere else. Antonio Brown situation. I said, you know what? Everybody got what they deserved here. That they did win a Super Bowl. You were playing with fire. He's burnt down buildings and three other stops here, and he's doing the same thing in Tampa Bay. Now, I have to look at both sides. As much as I love Bruce Arians, 
I think Bruce is being disingenuous when he says he didn't know about Antonio Brown's ankle injury. The guy was limited in practice, didn't practice a couple of days. He was questionable for the game. And I don't know if he checked out of that game. There was a moment where I thought Brady walking down the bench and you could see where Antonio Brown had his arms up on the bench and it looked like he had basically checked out of the game before he kind of lit the the fuse here. So I, I don't know how this plays out. He said that he was told that, you know, hey, you got to get shot up with a dangerous drug here. I don't think you spend a decade in the NFL and you don't know about Toradol. But is Antonio, do you think he has a case here against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that he can get paid, get released, and maybe play with somebody else? Well, uh, that's certainly what he's trying to do. Um, I got a bunch of thoughts on this, Dan. You know, first of all, one of his main problems is Antonio Brown's lost the benefit of the doubt, Yeah. right? I mean, there have been so many things over the last three years that even with these text messages he's sending out, even if he's 100% right in this situation, I think he'll have a tough time in the court of public opinion because of a couple of different things. Number one, Everything that's happened up until this point. But also, Dan, I've seen guys with bad ankles. I've seen guys with ankle sprains, whatever. They're not exiting like he exited that game. They're not jumping up and down in the end zone. Like, he, like if you have an ankle injury, you're, that, that ankle's bothering you and you're limping on it. He didn't show any limp or anything in the end zone, which I think also hurts his cause. And, I, and here's the last thing, which I think is the most important. I played for five teams, Dan. There are some guys who don't play or try not to play because of injury, but it's really more mental than physical, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, they have an injury, but what's preventing them from actually going out there is what they're thinking in their head about the injury as opposed to the physical malady itself. I had a guy one time, I'm not going to embarrass him, But this guy was a high pick. He would do whatever it took to try to not play in the game. I mean, there were times where I can remember the head coach flipping out on the orthopedic surgeon because all of a sudden the guy wasn't going to play that day, and he was supposed to. He practiced that week. I remember one time we we were playing in San Francisco, and they did fireworks before the game. And we're all standing there, and they were, it's, it's foggy. It was candlestick. There's a little bit of fog there. All of a sudden, we're about to go out there, Dan, for the first series. And this same guy is like, oh, oh, my eyes, my eyes. The fireworks got in my eyes. Like, I can't play. Like, I'm not. I swear to God. Oh and God. the trainers gave him his helmet. They lift, they, they helped him off the bench and they're like, you're fine. Go out there. You're fine. Like they like pushed him out there. Like he, he did not want to, I mean, we were all, we were laughing, but that, that was him. So I think how we can balance Arian side and Antonio Brown side is that he did have an ankle issue. By the way, everybody playing at this point in the season has an issue. Everybody has at least one thing bothering them. I can assure you. Otherwise, what have you been doing the whole time? And I think Arians thought it was Antonio Brown mentally not going back out there as opposed to because of the ankle. And I think with Antonio Brown's history, 
I can totally understand why Arians felt that way. Talking to Ross Tucker, the uh, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. He's going to uh, take part in the national championship game between Montana State and North Dakota State. I love that. And that uh, will be noon on Saturday on Westwood One. He's got the Chargers-Raiders game on Sunday night also on Westwood One. Paulie, how many times did Ross Tucker play in San Francisco? Well, you'd think a lot with the long career. Uh, I got you as one road game in San Francisco, Ross, in 2004 with the Buffalo Bills. I was on the team for Washington in 2002 when we played out there Mm -hmm. as well. But I don't think I – I think that was the first game of my career I was inactive. However – you don't know whether or not that was the firework game or not. So the the I team, can, can you better, we, can get we the guess, I team on can, it. Okay, can we guess the player who didn't want to play because he had smoke in his eyes? Um, look, you could probably Google it. I don't, you know, I don't know if that story's ever been told, but it was. <laughs> It was hilarious. Polly, can you guess? Is the I team on this? The player is it a a good player, a really good player, or a well, role? Well, I mean, he was a high pick. Ross said he was a high draft pick. There's names like Takeo Spikes. That's no, a, no, it's a wide receiver. Oh, a wide receiver. Is that no, right? No, I didn't say it was a wide receiver. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> no. Okay. So it's not Eric Moult. You guys are so good at this. You guys always try to get – I don't look, I don't want to embarrass the guy. He hasn't played for a while. He was a nice guy. Uh, he was really into video games. I'm sure he's got a great life now. I don't, I don't want to embarrass him any further. I probably talked about him on other shows before. What, what, has, what does playing video games have to do with this? He's a good guy. He plays video games? Um, he was more intense – about playing video games in the players' lounge than he was on the field, and that is a fact. Okay. He got more animated playing Halo in the players' lounge than he ever did on the field ever. Oh, that's so good. I like how you don't want to embarrass the guy, talk about him, but now you keep adding more layers to this. Paulie? It wasn't Lee Evans, was it? I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not saying because... It just does. And by the way, it, it's better. It's like the whole Franco Harris immaculate reception. Yeah. Well, it's like, it'll not, make not the story the go longer. Not, not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite. But uh, it'll make the story go on longer, and you guys will spend more time trying to figure out who it is if I don't tell you who it is. All right. Chargers Raiders, final game of the regular season. And that will come down to what in this game? Yeah, I think it'll come down to the last drive. And I got to be honest with you, I, I, I kind of give the, the benefit of the doubt there to the Raiders. You know, the Raiders have won, I got to check my notes, they've won two or three overtime games this year. Derek Carr has been very clutch in those moments late in games. We saw that again against the Colts on Sunday. Herbert has had an unbelievable year, you know, setting franchise records with touchdown passes. But I guess I kind of feel like even though Herbert's more talented, I kind of feel like Derek Carr is more clutch, or at least he has been this year. If it comes down to a, you know, whoever has the ball last, I think it will. I I think the Raiders, I'm actually surprised that they are underdogs at home in this game. You've been on the Derek Carr bandwagon, though, for a while, haven't you? 
So impressed by him this year. You know, not only, Dan, the way he's kept that team afloat after the Gruden thing and the Henry Ruggs thing and Arnett, you know, they, they, this team could have collapsed so many times. And it felt like Derek Carr has willed them to this point. But if you remember after the Henry Ruggs uh, terrible, terrible accident, I don't know if you guys talked about it, but to hear Derek Carr say, you know, I'm going to love Henry Ruggs right now because somebody needs to, after he obviously did a, a horrible, hor- I, I'm just really impressed by Derek Carr as a human being. I never even met him. I saw him before the Cowboys game. I didn't say anything to him. I don't think I've ever even met him. I'm very impressed from afar hmm. by the way he carries himself. Yeah. But what is it? What's he missing that he, he kind of gets lumped in the Kirk Cousins category? Yeah. It's funny because I think he's a top 10 quarterback. I think he's 8, 9, or 10. I think uh, when you are a guy that, number one, doesn't have any wow physical traits. So he does not Josh Allen or Herbert's arm or Stafford's arm. Doesn't have any wow physical traits and has not had postseason success. That is the double whammy. That when, when you have those two things, that you're always going to have your group of people that say, he sucks, man. He sucks. Like Kirk Cousins, he sucks. Derek Carr, he sucks. Like unless you do things that wow them or you have – playoff success you're going to be now listen there's 20 teams in the nfl that would take Derek carr as their quarterback there's 15 that would take kirk cousins but yet those guys still get a lot of the ire from fans because of exactly what i just mentioned great to talk to you safe travels ross as always thank you for joining us oh oh, my eyes Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. He's Mike Carmen. I'm Dan Byer. We have a brand new fantasy football podcast called I Want Your Flex. Twice a week, every Tuesday and Friday, we come up with new episodes to not only look back at what happened, what you need to do at that minute, and also look ahead of what's coming up in the fantasy football world. That's right, Dan. Every week, we're going to scour the waiver wire to find the pickups to turbo boost your fantasy lineup, sit, starts, fantasy football players' rankings to get you ready to dominate the competition. Listen to I Want Your Flex with Mike Harmon and me, Dan Beyer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts mike florio pro football talk live co-host you sure you want to be part of this mike (laughs) i'm I'm enjoying it i like listening to it but and it's all accurate and you know what i think i heard that hub arkish isn't voting for aaron Rodgers for mvp because he can't get the rogers oh he can't get the rogers no you get the rogers wrath is what you get and you've and you've felt that before with uh, Aaron Rodgers. He, not, not like Hub Arkish did yesterday. <laughs> it's always nice when it happens to someone other than you. Uh, what did you think of what – okay, what did you have a problem with with Hub Arkish? Well, I have a problem with completely twisted and warped reasoning for not – voting for Aaron Rodgers for MVP. It's about what you do on the field from week one to week 18, not what you did in the off season, not what you said in the preseason, not whether or not you were vaccinated, not whether or not you lied about being vaccinated. And I said at the time that he missed that key game against the Chiefs and they lost. 
If this costs them the number one seed in the NFC, it will cost him the MVP. If the Bucks are the one seed, Tom Brady's going to be the MVP. But the Packers nailed down the one seed. Rodgers' numbers were phenomenal. There's no way he's not the MVP. And withholding the vote for any other reason is wrong. And Hub Arcus shouldn't have one of the votes. I've asked the AP, is he still going to have one of the votes? Because they haven't cast the ballots yet. They should strip it away from him. And all he's apologized for, Dan, is saying it out loud. He hasn't apologized for having improper proper motivation. So he was flat out wrong. And it was refreshing to see so many people set aside whatever concerns they may have about Aaron Rodgers and point out that Hub Arkish was wrong to believe what he believes as he plans to cast his ballot. It's been an interesting season for Aaron Rodgers because there seems and the offseason, it feels like there's been this roller coaster ride of, hey, we support him. We don't support him. He lied to us, deceived us. Man, he's playing great to, you know, the Packers are screwing him up. Whatever it is, it feels like it's just been this unbelievable ride. But I come back to the same bottom line, Mike. If you play in that division, you have Devontae Adams and you have an organization that is a really good organization with draft picks, except for Jordan Love. Why would you leave? Why would Aaron Rodgers leave? You're absolutely right. And that's something Sims and I have been kicking around on PFT Live in the mornings. The idea that he runs that division. It's the worst division in football, but for the presence of the Packers. Where do you go? Where else do you go in the NFL where you slip right in and you have a great team around you that can dominate? You know, the Broncos are the team he's been linked to. Okay, fine. Have fun with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Have fun with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Have fun in the AFC, which has plenty of other great teams. You are in a great spot to keep winning. With Tom Brady, it was a no-brainer. The Patriots' talent was declining. He had a perfect opportunity in Tampa Bay where they had a good team. All they needed was a quarterback, and it worked out. So I think Rodgers should stay where he is. And frankly, Dan, I think that from Rodgers' perspective, it all comes down to the next move the Packers make financially. Do they come to him and say, you know, we're paying you $33.5 million a year. That's the same Jared Goff is making. We know what the market is. You don't even need to ask for for a raise. They should come to him and put him somewhere between 40 and 45 million a year with a full guarantee for two or three years, invalidate the Jordan Love pick, trade Jordan Love, or keep him until the end of his contract. Either way, Rodgers is your guy. That's what the Packers need to do next. And I think if they do that, I think Rodgers would be very inclined to stay. There's a report that just came out. Seton, do you have that from Mary Kay Cabot, who covers the Cleveland Browns, you know, Cleveland Plain Dealer? Uh, has to do with Baker Mayfield. Uh, do you have the exact language on that, Seton? You know, I don't have the exact language in front of me, but she basically said that unless there were reassurances given to him for next season that he would ask to be traded. Trade him. Trade him. Bye-bye. That's it. I, I got no problem with it. And I had a feeling it was going this way. They need to do soul-searching about who their quarterback is, and part of the other uh, equation is he may want out. And I've had a feeling all along it was going to come to this. So... Uh, no, uh, Baker, you haven't been good enough to make demands. Tom Brady can make demands. Aaron Rodgers can make demands. Russell Wilson can make demands. Baker, you haven't done enough to make demands. If this is the way he's going to be, they're better off moving on from it. And you start to look at, you know, when you have these musical chairs with these quarterbacks in the offseason. Let's say Rodgers stays. So Denver's in, in the market. Um, Cleveland will be in the market. I don't know if the Dolphins are still in the market. I guess they will be. 
you can throw Carolina in there. there there's a Washington football team. There's only so many quality quarterbacks who are going to be available, and I don't know if any of these draft picks are a draft me now when I play right away. How do you see this scenario playing out in the offseason? Well, the first step is what happens with the coaches, because I think that has a huge influence on decisions that are made about quarterbacks and quarterbacks making decisions about where they want to go, starting with Russell Wilson. If Pete Carroll stays as the head coach of the Seahawks, he's more likely to want to move on. If they move on from Carroll and they hire a guy that Russell Wilson looks at and says, well, this guy's going to rejuvenate my career and help me get to the three Super Bowls that he openly said last week he aspires to win. I mean, unless he's going to play until he's 80, he better find himself in a spot where he's more likely to win Super Bowls sooner rather than later. So the coaching carousel is going to drive it. And, you know, we're seeing this every year now, Dan, I think because teams have become willing to let the bird in the hand go. The quarterback who's just good enough. Okay, it's fine. We have a guy who's just good enough, but we can do better. And we're going to try to do better. And you see a greater willingness from teams to say, we're willing to part with the guy we have in the hopes of finding someone better. The Carolina Panthers are the epitome of that right now. They desperately want a franchise quarterback. They threw out Teddy Bridgewater. They're going to throw out Sam Darnold. They're going to throw out Cam Newton, and they're going to keep looking for better. And I think a lot of teams feel that way. Yeah, I just wonder if you could see a scenario where Russell Wilson leaves, goes to Cleveland. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because absolutely. I, and I think they have a style that is reminiscent of what Russ had when they had the Legion of Boom where you had a good running game, but you, you could let him cook now, as we like to say. Um, maybe Baker Mayfield ends up in New Orleans. Chris Sims brought that up the other day. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, Denver, Miami, Carolina. I'm not sure, but, you know, it, it feels like that, you know, when you start to look at somebody's going to get left out. And, and it, it, you know, is it Denver? Do I want to go into the AFC West? Uh you know, what I, as we just, you know, pointed out, uh, Carolina, are they going to get it right this time? Do the Dolphins upgrade from Tua? Have they seen enough of Tua, good or bad? So I, I don't know. It, it's always fascinating, um, you know, the reality show that is the NFL. I think I got to move on from Tua. And I know that we're very careful about activating Tua non. They are very loud. They are very vocal and they're very loyal. But <laughs> just watch some of the lowlights from the week 17 game against the Titans, including the oh. Brucey from the longest yard moment where his arm goes this way, the ball goes that way. <laughs> he, he's good enough. That's the thing. Are you tolerating good enough? Or do you want great? And it's clear that Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, wants great. And they've seen enough from Tua to come to that conclusion. Dan, one team you didn't mention that I think is going to be fascinating when it comes to these dynamics of offseason quarterbacks is the Steelers. Yeah. What are they going to do? Because yeah, right. it can't be Mason Rudolph. No. And Dwayne Haskins is buried on the depth chart. He hasn't done enough to supplant Mason Rudolph. So it tells me they're going to be looking somewhere for someone to step in. And that's an attractive landing spot for an established veteran quarterback because they got the defense, they got the coaching. Remember the googly eyes between Aaron Rodgers and Mike Tomlin earlier this I year know. when they played? Know. Uh, you know, if Aaron Rodgers is looking for greener grass, not that it's very green in Pittsburgh this time of year, but boy, that's a spot where he should at least be wondering how would it go for me if I could land there? Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater would probably end up there. Uh, this, this, was, <laughs> this was treated as breaking news yesterday. And WFAA in Dallas, you know, that now we have another site in case the Super Bowl can't be played in Los Angeles. And I thought, is this breaking news? Are they saying the Super Bowl's not in Los Angeles? 
This is standard procedure, isn't it, Mike? Well, I think the trigger was the postponement of the Grammys on January 31 in L.A. That's what got people starting okay. to connect dots and say, what are the contingencies? And since then, someone from the L.A. County governmental structures come out and said the Super Bowl is happening here. So, uh, you know, th there's a thought that this is all going to peak and begin to subside. Not that anybody cares. That's the other side of it. If anybody cared, it would be different. We're at the point where we're past it, we're over it, whether that's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. That's where we are. I'd be stunned at this point if the Super Bowl gets moved. And if it does, it's not something they can wait until a week before the game. It's a fairly urgent uh, situation, especially for the folks at NBC who are broadcasting the game to know, you know, where is our operation going to be? Is it going to be in California? Is it going to be in Texas or somewhere else? Okay. Is there anything that could happen where we would need contingency plans that the Super Bowl would move to Dallas? Unless that there's you know some new variant that is even more transmissible, but far more uh, problematic from the symptoms it causes and the serious illnesses it creates, it would take something like that. But we're talking about five weeks away. I, I think that the current belief is the Omicron variant is going to begin to dip and the clouds are going to part at least for a little bit and we'll be able to get this done. But 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 who knows? But they do. But Dan, you're right. They have contingency plans every year yeah. just in case something would come up that would keep a game from moving forward. If you were Antonio Brown's agent and you being a lawyer, so let's factor that in as well. What would be your course of action? Well, my, my first guy would be to fire Antonio Brown, frankly, because he's clearly <laughs> not following the advice that they're giving him, because I'm sure they said to him, stay off social media. Let's have no, let's have no outbursts. Let's keep, let's lay low here and see how this plays out. Look, Dan, I can't figure this out for the life of me because if the story from Antonio Brown's camp is his ankle is sufficiently injured that he needs surgery and he's done for the season, why won't the Buccaneers just release him? And why is Brown's camp complaining about, and the hashtag is cut and caged. They're cutting him, but they haven't cut him. They're keeping him in a cage. Well, it's not like he can go anywhere else and play because he's got an ankle injury that needs surgery that knocks him out for the season. I think the Buccaneers haven't released him because there's that sliver of fear that somebody's going to have to explain to Tom Brady why it was that Antonio Brown had 10 catches for 152 yards and two touchdowns in the game that knocked the Buccaneers out of the playoffs, up to and including Super Bowl 56, if he would land with the Chiefs, which I think would be the first team I would watch as a potential destination. So that's where the logic falls apart. If he can't play due to the ankle, why won't the Buccaneers just cut him? We're at the end of the season. It, just cut him. Cut him, and, and if wherever he lands, he lands, especially if he can't play. So I don't know what to believe. I think everyone's at fault. I think it's a huge mess. It's great for business, but it's not great for the Buccaneers or for Antonio Brown, and I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it as an agent, as a lawyer, as anyone. It's too big of a mess right now. Uh, let me leave you with this, and this is a curveball. Um, why isn't Dan Reeves in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Well, he will be, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Now, in the past – there was too much competition with players for coaches to get in as frequently as they should get in. They've created this separate track now that makes it easier for coaches to get in. And we're going to see the backlog of coaches who should have gotten in, starting with Tom Flores most recently. Guys who will get in who should have been in all along. And you're going to clear out that backlog of coaches who should have been in. But I think the problem is, and it makes it remarkable when a guy like Tony Dungy does it, when you emerge as one of the finalists and one of the ultimate recipients of the bronze bust, 
when you're competing with quarterbacks, running backs, linemen, players, yeah. it's harder to compete with players. They've made it easier. So Reeves will get in. Yeah, I look at the resume as a player, as an assistant coach, as a head coach. And yes, he did lose those Super Bowls. But man, he, I think Tom Brady's the only guy who's been to more Super Bowls than Dan Reeves, if, if that sounds right. And the challenge is, how do you categorize Dan Reeves? Because they always like to have a category. And sometimes the things you do beyond that category help you get in. It helped John Madden get in. It helped Dick LeBeau get in. His time as a coach helped him get in as a player. But I don't like the categorization. It should be your full contribution to football. And Dan Reeves did more than enough that he should get in. And he will get in. He will get in because of the way they've tweaked the rules. Within the next, I don't know, three, four, five years, he'll be in. Good. Great to talk to you again, Mike. Thank you. All right, Dan. Next, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host and contributor to Football Night in America.